welcome to Monologues by Hassie, where I'm going to be dropping unsolicited brain dumps from the depths of my grey matter. I'll talk about life, money, society, and self-development, plus whatever else lies up there, whilst hopefully not getting cancelled in the process. Working for the government is one of those things where there's a lot of stereotypes that surround it. And in this episode, I'd like to address my own experiences with the government, why I joined the government in the first place, and subsequently why I left the government after realizing what I realized. So it's this time of year, we're coming to the end of the year, and at least in the Southern Hemisphere, this is where a lot of university students start getting offers for graduate jobs. That's their first job out of university. Generally, these programs could have multiple rotations where they get to experience different areas of the business, or it could be a very simple one-year program in a particular discipline. Now, when I came out of university, I studied a Bachelor of Engineering and a Bachelor of Science, and originally I was intending to go into a very technical field. I wanted to go into technical work, um, ideally some sort of manufacturing facility. That's where I thought I was headed. But by the time I got to the end of my degree, so it was about six to seven years after I started, I kind of realized that engineering wasn't for me, not because I didn't like the intellectual challenge, but when I looked at the lifestyle that a chemical engineer or a manufacturing engineer had, it was no longer a lifestyle which appealed to me. So one thing I'd realized after seven years is, well, there's actually much better ways to make a living, to make money. And in terms of lifestyle, it wasn't that great. In fact, one of the graduate offers I got was to work in an oil refinery in a part of Queensland. It was a small town called Gladstone. And I remember going there to the interview. And whilst they were grilling me about how much I knew about chemical engineering, I was equally grilling them back about what they did on the weekend, what their lives look like. And I simply wasn't happy with the answer. So I didn't end up going into that line of work. What I did do was I joined the New South Wales government. Out of all the offers I got, I got two offers which were engineering and two offers which were government-based. One of them was with the Victorian government, which was in data analytics. And the other one was with the New South Wales government, where for the first six months, I knew that I was going to be doing something called robotic process automation. So what robotic process automation is, is basically imagine that when you create a piece of software, a lot of the work happens behind the scenes. But let's say the software engineers at your company are really busy. So rather than telling them to make an improvement, you have a robot which will interact with the screen that you normally look at and it will behave just like you. So what that team did is we'd study what a human did on a computer, what they entered into different fields, how they interacted with a piece of software, and we'd program a robot using a no-code tool to do that exact same sequence of work. The only difference is the robot naturally can do the work so much faster, it doesn't take breaks, and it can be used to work longer hours. So when I spoke to my potential boss, I, I remember call, calling him, I told the graduate program, look, I know you normally don't put us in contact with managers until we actually start our placements and have accepted, you know, the contract's been signed and everything. But I said, I've got a few other offers online and I really want to find out what this job's about. 
When I found out that that's what I was going to be doing, I said, cool, this is amazing. This is really exciting. It sounds better. And fundamentally, that's why I joined the government. I joined the government because I wasn't happy with engineering. I didn't like what the profession offered in terms of money and work-life balance and lifestyle. Engineering in Australia, I can't really speak for other parts of the world, but in chemical manufacturing engineering, you can make great money, especially down the track once you're five to 10 years senior because there's so few of you. But early on, the money isn't that great. And compared to other professions, which may have had less intense periods of training, I really couldn't see the return on investment by working in the field. So when I found out that this is what I was going to be doing at the government, you know, creating these robots, which kind of take over old manual processes, I said, that sounds really cool. I don't know what the 12 months after the first six months are going to entail. So it was an 18 month graduate program. But I said, that sounds good enough. I'm going to do it. It also happened to be the highest paying job. So one of the thing about government jobs, especially when you're entry level, is that for the entry level, government jobs will generally pay better. But I'll get on to how, it, how that pans out down the track later in this episode. So I did, I joined the New South Wales government. I did my first six months doing robotic process automation. I, I worked for Revenue New South Wales, which is kind of the state revenue office for the, for the state I live in in Australia. And I absolutely loved it. The team were doing great things. We were improving the way government worked. In terms of my own mission, now generally when I like to do work, I like to do work that is meaningful in one way or the other, either either because I'm learning something or because I'm contributing to society. And for me, I was helping make government more efficient because we were enabling the government to do more work with less resources. And that's something even ideologically that I align with, having a more efficient government, which is able to better serve its citizens. And I love that. It was absolutely great. And in terms of the management I had during that six months, I had probably the most amazing or one of the most amazing managers that I've had in you know my entire life at that job and I remember he was so on top of my development I was given every opportunity that I could grab if I was willing to grab it he was willing to give it to me I remember I learned so much in fact that first six months definitely has influenced my career to this day even though I'm doing something very different now I'm in software engineering now I actually write the code that's happening behind the scenes. But that first job really kind of primed me for a career in technology. After that first six months, I didn't really have too much choice about where I went next. When I applied for the New South Wales government, I applied for a technology stream and there isn't actually a technology stream. At the time, what there was is there was a marketing funnel that was marketed as a technology stream and it naturally found people, attracted people who are interested in working with technology, which I was, and it put them in the basic normal graduate program. In my case, it did align me to a first job, which was in a, in a technology team, in this robotic process automation team. But every rotation after that, I was just in the normal graduate program. So I go to my second and third rotations. My second rotation, I was in a team which managed insurance premiums for a particular product. We worked with external actuaries and my third rotation was very left field. In fact, I'm very appreciative of it now, now that I've, I'm doing something extremely technical in the private sector, but I was actually put in the housing and homelessness strategy division of the Department of Communities and Justice. So their responsibility was to naturally tackle um, housing and homelessness issues in the state of New South Wales. So it was a very interesting role. Across all three roles, 
There was a few kind of glaring realities that I noticed about working in government. I don't think this is exclusive to government. It definitely exists in the private sector, but it's just so much more evident in the government because of the way that government is structured. The first thing is the 80-20 rule is absolutely true. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Sometimes it's even worse than that. Now I said in my first rotation, I had an absolutely incredible manager. This guy was an absolute fucking workhorse. He was absolutely incredible. He had basically established this team and he was about to leave and another manager comes in. They say, look, we'll hire someone to take over your admin. But at least from what I could see, he was setting up the infrastructure. He was doing so much of the work. He was mentoring the employees. If that team lost him, it would be such a tremendous loss, not just to that team, but to the New South Wales government. I believe this is one of the golden public servants. In fact, I have tried, since I left the government, I've actually tried to poach him into the, the company I work for now, because I truly believe he's that good. He used to be a former developer and found himself in the robotic process automation space. And this guy, again, complete workhorse, extremely intelligent man. He was doing things that were just, it was incredible that one person could set up the infrastructure for 10 people to succeed in. Even then, after there were 10 people, he was still disproportionately pulling so much weight. And if, if, you're, if you happen to be listening to this, um, and this is to my manager, just know this is how highly I think of you. Now, that said, yeah, the 80-20% rule is 100% true. So this was one example. In other divisions I was in, sometimes I felt like I was part of that 20%. I remember my second rotation, I was just doing so much work. And sometimes I really questioned what was happening. I remember we had an internal audit. And with this internal audit, despite how important that everyone made it out to be, no one was really doing anything. We'd have a meeting, you know, every week and nothing would get done. And I, I, I realized, well, hey, I can kind of pull this off. So I effectively had to manage up being the very lowest person and I had to get this work done. And that second rotation, I remember I worked so hard, I was actually exhausted. I was bloody exhausted from working in the government. Now, one of the, the, the other things about the government is people always assume that public servants are extremely lazy. I think you get tired with this brush. But one thing I want to point out is there, yes, there is this 20% 20, 20 of people who do really keep the machinery going and who are incredibly effective at their jobs. And there is a lot of flexibility. There is a lot of work-life balance. You can take, we in the New South Wales government, at least in the departments I worked for, had flex days where if we took if we worked overtime, we wouldn't get paid overtime because we were salaried employees, but we could take that off. There were benefits like that. But I actually didn't find any of my three rotations across you know, three very different government departments. Personally, I did not find them relaxing because I'm the type of person where even if there isn't work, I will find work, which is a, potentially a negative trait. I will find things to improve, find things to do. But when I compare that to the experiences that some of the other graduates had, they were in teams where they just had no work and they were bored out of their mind. And in fact, prior to working for the New South Wales government, I actually did work for the federal government when, during university. I took a year off, like a gap year off university, and I took an internship with the Department of Defense in their research organization. So it was a federal department in Australia. And I remember after that year, 
I said I'm never going to work for the government again because I absolutely hated it. Whilst I had a lot of life experience that I gained from working for the federal government, I remember that it was a research organization and there was amazing research happen happening around me. But I was in a team where I felt like we were doing $2 research on $200,000 equipment. And I just couldn't justify how we were delivering value in my own mind. So I didn't uh, get a lot of, I guess, dopamine from the work I was doing. I kind of realized a few months in that, hey, this isn't going anywhere. We're just kind of going through the motions. We're applying for funding. Somebody will come to check progress. We'll say something. We'll say it's doing this, say it's doing that. But I just didn't really feel like we were in go moving forward. So that one year in government turned me off two things. It turned me off science, or at least a career in research in the short term, because I realized that there, there seemed to be an element of luck. At least this is how I thought back then in terms of where I could go. So out of all the jobs I could have had, I just got, got with the unlucky one. There was good work happening there. I just wasn't in the team where it was happening. And there really wasn't room to move around, especially when you're on a one-year internship. And the final thing was, it was just, it wasn't meaningful. I, I didn't see how we were delivering value. In fact, that year, I guess politically, I shifted a lot after working for the I definitely came out much more conservative. And a large part of that was being influenced by how I perceived taxpayer money being wasted by the government. So don't get me wrong, I have definitely felt even as a government employee, an ex-government employee, I have had many of these perceptions myself. It's not just people outside of me. And I said I'd never work for the government again after that year, but clearly that didn't happen and I reserved the right to change my mind about any of my opinions. But even in the New South Wales government, 100%, there was this kind of, there, there were people who, you know, to, to put it very nicely, had life set out very well. They had a relatively secure job in some cases where, you know, they weren't stressed out. They came in at nine, they left at five. They didn't need to stress out. That said, not everyone experienced that. So it is a very mixed bag. It's not, it's not homogenous is what I'm trying to get at. Now, job security is another thing. People think that government jobs are extremely secure. If I learned one thing about my very last rotation when I was at the Department of Communities and Justice is that government jobs aren't inherently secure. When I was at the, the department, so when I was doing my housing and homelessness rotation, the department was being restructured. There were redundancies. There were people who cried at work. There were people extremely worried about their jobs, you know, worried about not getting positions. And if you imagine everything I've just told you about government employees, sometimes it's very niche. Sometimes they have extremely niche jobs jobs which don't exist in the private sector, which don't pay as well in the private sector if they do exist. And naturally people are leveraged, right? They've bought houses, they've got mortgages. I've spoken about this in the very first episode of this podcast, right? Personally, why I don't like the idea of big residential mortgages where it's not earning you money, but there are people who are locked into these life choices. They assume that a government job would be safe and all of a sudden they're faced with a redundancy. And yes, they might get a payout, but what are they gonna do after that? So government jobs aren't inherently safe. So even going through the motions, I, you know, I wasn't seeing how I was always adding value, especially in my second rotation. I think when I was with the team that looked after insurance premiums, I believe that is where my work felt the least meaningful. If I look at my first rotation, I was improving efficiencies. If I looked at my third rotation, 
whilst very high level, we were doing something to attempt to help housing and homelessness. But again, it was so high level that I definitely didn't get as much dopamine as I did from the first rotation for multiple reasons. In the first rotation, I was learning a lot technically and doing all of these things. I, I was delivering what I perceived to be great value to the taxpayer. So I felt like I really earned my wages for that first six months. That is something that's important for me. I don't like to coast. And that was, it was very murky how I felt in that second rotation. In fact, I was so happy to get out of there. I, I was so happy to go to my next rotation, even though it was very left field. And I, I think I felt uncomfortable about going to housing and homelessness. I didn't study kind of social work or study an arts degree. I studied very technical stuff in university. So it felt very weird to be going into a team that did strategy in that space, but it was very enlightening nonetheless. The next thing I learned about government is that it's an incredibly stratified and hierarchical environment. So what I mean by stratified is, at least for the New South Wales government and even the federal government, when I used to work for them, you know, the Australian federal government, is that there are pay grades and people generally refer to other people by their pay grades. So in the New South Wales government, I remember being in a meeting very early on in my first rotation. And as I said, my manager had a lot of trust with me. So I'd often be encouraged to lead these stakeholder meetings. Sometimes I'd be the only person meeting with stakeholders whose processes we had to learn to automate. And very first thing they'd ask me is, so what level are you? And it's a very jarring question because as a graduate, I was what we call the level three, four in the New South Wales government. And that kind of went all the way up to level 11, 12. So these are pay bands. And above that, you kind of had executive, executive levels. So people would always kind of want to suss out what level you are. Now, one of the tra tricks that I learned is that I would never say I was a three, four. I would say I'm a graduate because graduate implies something that's you've come through a graduate program, you've got potential, you might not be a 3-4 at the end of it. By saying you're a 3-4, sometimes they look at you like you're their subordinate. So if you're meant to be working with these people, sometimes that collaboration is very difficult because it is a stratified and very hierarchical environment. People care about status. So they may, might treat people who are below their pay grade differently. Not it's inherently in a, oh, we hate you kind of way, you're a peasant, but you might not achieve the same outcomes compared to whether you're on the same grade or whether you're on a higher grade. So, you know, we always like to think we're so civilized because we work in these concrete and glass buildings, but really we're just animals on the savannah. We still have those same status structures. And in the government that manifested itself with this stratification, being asked what grade you are, people wanted to know where you sat relative to them and that would dictate how meetings would go and how they'd interact with. So this was a pro and a con in many cases, but I, I definitely found ways to circumvent that, but I noticed other people did get affected by that 100%. Now, coming out of that graduate program, I guess when I went into it, the graduate program advertised that if you're an exceptional performer, you can get to grade seven, eight. So now that I've just told you about pay grades, and again, these pay grades are transparent. So I looked at what, what does a 7-8 get paid? You know, a 7-8 started at least at the time, it was the base salary was $97,000. It was um, plus superannuation. And I said, yeah, that's, that, that, that's a great salary. I'm a very goal and task oriented person. So I looked at the time frame. I said, okay, 18 months, exceptional performance. You can go from a 3-4 to a 7-8. And normally the way government works, at least for the New South Wales government, is you can, if you're currently employed, if you're a current permanent government employee, you can only go to the pay grade above. 
So if you're a 3-4, you can go to a 5-6. If you're a 5-6, you can go to a 7-8. But you can never jump kind of two bands at one time. The only exception to this is if you come in as a graduate. So I came in with a clear goal that when I get to the end of these 18 months, I'm going to be a 7-8. So I had an extremely clear goal. And I remember after the first, you know, after my six-month rotation, I had such a great time. There was the opportunity to join that team down the track, and they had two positions open, a 5-6 and a 7-8. Now, when I was on that team, I hate to sound cocky, but I believe I was truly, even though I was, you know, very young compared to the rest of them, I'd only just been exposed to the world of robotic process automation, their core area, compared to some of their other staff who are very experienced. What I brought was stakeholder communication skills. I was great at working with their clients. I could collaborate well with the team when we had to deliver critical automations. I loved that environment so much and I was very keen to go back. And I remember talking to my manager and he said, yep, you'd be perfect for a 7-8. And I remember applying for the 7-8. Now, the actual manager of the team, so the guy above my manager, who was more administrative, I remember he gave me a call and he said, look, Hassie, I, I see that you've applied for the 7-8 position. And this was midway through my graduate program. He said, I see you've applied for the 7-8 position. I don't think I can do that for you. Even though you, He said, you're really amazing. You're incredible. You're one of our best employees, but I, I can't do you a, give you a 7-8. Would you like me to transfer your application to a 5-6? I said, no. I would rather my application sit in the 7-8 and get rejected than take a job at a 5-6 because I came in with a very clear goal of where I wanted to get to. Now, it turns out I didn't even get an interview. So not, not the manager I said was amazing, but the guy above him did not bother bringing me in for an interview. It just wasn't even considered. I wasn't in the lineup. I said, fine, cool. I actually put that out of my mind. At that moment, I realized that if I wanted that goal of being a 7-8 at the end of the 18 months, it wasn't going to happen with the first team, the team that I thought was incredibly amazing. I said, cool, this is not going to happen. And the reason why it felt like that was when I look back at it, that was a technical team and there weren't many technical positions in the, in, in, in the graduate program. There weren't many technical positions available to begin with. So I guess from his perspective, he thought, potentially thought, maybe I wasn't worth the 7-8, maybe I was like a top 5-6, but potentially in his mind, I may not have had other options to go to. It wasn't something that he, he envisaged that I would jump to. So... I guess the assumption was I would take whatever was given to me, which I, unfortunately for, for, for him, I didn't do, but also fortunately for me, because things panned out much better. And on top of that, I guess, yeah, I was just somebody who was relatively fresh out of university. I was barely a year out of university, maybe a bit more, a year and a few months out of university, and he couldn't justify that. The manager I had definitely thought I could do it. In fact, I was already working at that level when I was graduate. There were people who were the grade, I guess, above what a 3-4 was, a 5-6, who probably didn't like that I was performing at the level that I was performing. And nevertheless, the I guess the, the highest manager for that automation team, the guy right at the top, pretty much said, sorry, I can't give you a 7-8, we can't help you progress to that level. This kind of changed my mindset. I said, wow, this is the rotation I like. This is the rotation, this particular six month job was the reason I joined the government and there's no pathway for me to hit that goal. So what did I do? I said, okay, look outside the graduate program. I started, I asked every graduate rotation, manager of the graduate rotations I had, 
whether I could do a 7-8, whether they could do that for me. And even though I'd say my work was impeccable and I, tr- I definitely delivered so much value that I, some teams actually said, you've ruined graduates for us. You were so good that you ruined, you know, every graduate we've had after you has just felt like crap, like trash in comparison. Again, no, no offense to them, but uh, I think the difference is a lot of graduates come in age 21, 22. I was coming into this program age 26. I already had a couple of years of work under my belt. I I'd spent so much time in education and work that when I came into this graduate program, I was just incredibly powerful. And remember, this is government work. It's not technical. It's not the world's hardest thing at times. So you're putting somebody who studied engineering in this environment where, you know, it's not always the, the, the world's most difficult thing. It can be difficult for many reasons, but generally it's not going to be. And here I am working to this metric saying that, okay, I want to get to a 7-8. And none of the directors, the kind of managers of the departments I was in said, yeah, we can't do this. Like, we're really impressed by what you can do, but we can only do a 5-6. So I started looking outside the graduate program. I already said, yeah, I'm quitting this graduate program because there's no pathway for me to hit a 7-8. Now I should be very clear, within the graduate program, there were many people who immediately went to 7-8s, some even higher. I think the difference was, there is an element of luck. It depends on the departments you are. Some people were in departments which had um, immense budgets. And if they saw that somebody was capable of doing the work, regardless of their age, regardless of their degree, these people got promoted. And especially when I was in the the very final rotation uh, in the homelessness and housing strategy, because the people we were serving ultimately are not taxpayers or were, you know, negative taxpayers in the grand scheme of things. We were such an underfunded department. That's why we were going through restructuring. And in a department like that, you can't inherently be, you won't always be rewarded based on what you're delivering. So it was a very interesting, I guess, set of experiences that I went through working for the government. And I remember applying outside the government to government roles that were outside the graduate program and having a few interviews here and there and they didn't always pan out. And then I branched out to the private sector. And when I started interviewing for the private sector, the fact that I was currently a government employee was definitely working against me. I remember I went, I walked into a fintech startup for an interview one day and the interview with the manager went great. And the CEO basically pretty much called me an hour later. So the hiring manager was really happy. And I remember the CEO was grilling me about working for the government. And he made all these statements like, oh, government servants are lazy. Sometimes we have work to do. And I remember being incredibly offended because I knew how hard I was working, the value I was delivering. And here's somebody painting me with the stereotypical brush of the government. And that I found incredibly offensive and I'm glad I didn't end up working for them. And eventually, yeah, I did, I did leave the New South Wales government, I went into data analytics, which I was already doing in my last two rotations. So I was utilizing kind of the tech skills that I learned during my first rotation and really building on that. I went into data analytics, data engineering in the, in, in, in the private sector, and I actually beat that 7-8 target. But essentially for me, as somebody who came in with a technical background, generally the people being promoted in the government had arts degrees, and it was very common for them to be promoted. It wasn't something people questioned. If you have an arts degree and you're doing great at project management, you will get promoted to a 7-8. But because I had a technical degree, I think the metric I was being assessed with was the people who typically work in these technical fields have five or 10 years of experience. But because you're a technical person, we're going to, to evaluate you by a different scale relative to this program which you've applied for. And for me, when I looked at what I signed up for and I said, this is a target that doesn't look 
A, it doesn't look appealing anymore based on the experiences I've had. And B, it doesn't seem like this target is something that I can reach within this framework. I looked outside the framework and that's why I left the government. Now, having been through, I guess, two stints, um, once with the federal government in Australia and then my second time after university with the New South Wales government, I personally would not work with the government. I think the biggest realization I had is the, the biggest challenge with working for the government is generally in a private business, if you're getting paid $100,000, you're generating a multiple of that for your employer. And if you can generate a higher multiple, you can generally do better for yourself. So I, and this is something I tell my friends all the time. I said, if you're average or if you're below average, a government, like something like a government job, where if you're on a pay band, if you're a three, four, and you're average or below average, you're doing great because you're getting paid the same amount of money. But if you're a three, four, and you're above average, everybody else at your level is getting paid the same, despite the fact that you're doing more work. So the government, I didn't see it as something that fostered progress, and it wasn't entirely meritocratic. I, I don't think it really satisfied my competitive spirit and my desire to derive benefit and gain value. And I kind of see, just based on my experience of trying to go up, why maybe public servants, certain public servants, government employees why they do kind of give up on doing a good job because they kind of realize that the pathway up to make more money is quite difficult so they turn back but that's not the way i want to live my life so that is ultimately why i quit the government having said all this and just i want to reiterate at everywhere i've worked in the government there have been incredible people there have been people who did great work and I don't think working for the government is inherently a bad thing. In fact, I do believe work, the work the government does is often work the private sector will not touch. So it is incredibly important that people do this work. But there is so much bureaucracy. There are so many inefficiencies. Generally, the pathway upwards is very murky. And those experiences that I had when I first started interviewing where private sector employees questioned my abilities and work ethic based on the fact that I worked for the government. One thing I realized is the longer I work for the government, the harder it is going to be to get out. The harder it is going to be to get out. And I run the risk of becoming apathetic because I'm struggling to generate value and you know, improve my position within that framework. So that context wasn't something that worked for me. I could definitely potentially see the attraction of government for people whose values lie more towards, you know, what they do outside family, their friends, their children, their pets. And if your job is just a job and you want to do some good work and be able to enjoy your life, the government is perfect for that. I think there are parts of the government where even if you are crazy about your career, you can do extremely well. It's just, it wasn't something that I always experienced when I was going through it, which is why I left the government. You've just made it through another episode of Monologues by Hassie. It brings me great pleasure to know that you made it to the end. To listen to more episodes, subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit monologuesbyhassie.com. Thanks for swinging by.